Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. SCP 5935. Blood and the breaking of my heart. Loss is an unfortunate yet inevitable part of human life, and everyone handles loss in different ways. Some are overcome with grief, others bury themselves in work or other interests, and many lose a bit of themselves in the process. The SCP we'll be looking at today is about loss, of course, one of the darkest kinds in which a parent faces the death of their child. This is an emotional, hard-hitting article, and while it wouldn't be part of the SCP universe without some anomalies involved, the core theme is one that is very realistic. SCP-5935 is an extra-dimensional location in the southern ocean near Antarctica, yet inaccessible by sea. The ocean surrounding the anomaly is constantly enshrouded in a thick fog, obscuring the interior of the extra-dimensional space. Passing through the border of the relatively small anomaly takes you into a much larger interior, consisting of a single, large, generally flat landmass. The specific dimensions of this landmass are not provided, but it's covered in a megacity consisting of hundreds of millions of identical skyscrapers. It's noted that the total population of the city, known as Pandemonium, is unknown and irrelevant, which is rather atypical of the Foundation. Additionally, we're told that the intended purpose of the city of Pandemonium is to contain SCP-5935-1 an entity we know nothing about currently. That leads us into a series of journal entries, which we're told were written by an overseer of the SCP Foundation. In the first entry, he writes that they buried Jacob beneath the old tree at their house in Michigan, where they lived when Jacob was little. He would swing on the rope from the tree for hours, the sound of his laughter like a song, but now he's gone. They had a simple service, with Dr. Mann in attendance, two other overseers, a factotum called Solemn, and three members of the MTF Red Right Hand. They helped the overseer dig the hole, and he carried the body himself into the grave. He and Jacob's mother, Elisa, sat beneath the tree for hours after everybody else left, with nothing else to say. They had both spent five years giving all of their resources, time, and effort in the hope of hearing him laugh one more day. The Overseer is in a dark place now, understandably, and he's not sure how to pick up the remnants of his life that was held together by Jacob. The other Overseers tell him not to worry about coming back to work soon, but he can't even think of ever going back to work, as the greatest joy in his life is gone. They also came to his door to say kind words and leave empty remarks, but he knows that behind those words is really their scorn and self-righteousness. They really mean to say, I told you so, about Jacob's death, masking their vitriol and distaste, 
but there's nothing left for the overseer to do or feel. The second article discusses a dream that the overseer had, where he was at a dinner hosted by a close friend from childhood that he hadn't seen in many years. The room was filled with the sound of feasting, but he eventually realized that the only people in the room were him and his friend. He was staring at him from across the table, but when he looked away, the friend was suddenly beside him. The friend's face was unnaturally round, rippling on the edges like a fabric in the wind, his eyes like dots of color suspended from wire somewhere behind his skull, as if he were two-dimensional. Eventually, the friend spoke, saying, There is not a way out of where you are, only a way in. He then pulled the facade of his face away, revealing Dr. Mann's face instead, and he said, There is nothing to be done. Then Mann's face was gone as well, replaced with the face of Director Light, followed by the faces of everyone the Overseer had ever known or seen, all rippling and coiling on the edges. Their eyes swung behind the flapping skin, glowing like orange cinders at the edge of a fire. He also saw faces of people he'd never met, but whose name he knew, faces of people long dead or yet to come. Then another figure entered the room, but he couldn't see their face. They stood at the edge of the table, staring at the changing creature next to him. The overseer turned to the creature, now seeing Jacob's face as it was at his funeral. Bile spilled from its mouth, and its eyes began to burn even brighter and swing faster and faster like a metronome. He then heard a word, spoken with Jacob's voice, but horrifically echoed across the room. The overseer can't remember what the word was, but he still feels the impact of hearing it. When the word was spoken, the creature and the new figure vanished into smoke, and the room fell apart as the overseer felt the sensation of falling. Afterwards, he stood at the end of a long street lined with mirrors, and far, far off in the distance was the creature with the fluttering face. The face it wore was familiar and intimate, despite him never seen it before. Its eyes began to swing, and then he woke up. The third journal entry mentions Elisa, who didn't get out of bed again today, and hasn't for many weeks. Her attendants are patient, but he fears they're running out of ideas. He himself can't help, since he's in his own dark place of depression. He also mentions that it rained again today, the sixth rain since Jacob died. In the fourth entry, he discusses that he's continued to have dreams featuring the fluttering face and the swinging eyes, regardless of where he goes or what chemicals he takes to help him sleep. He discusses the dreams with someone named Agatha, but she can't really help either. She tells him to ponder the identity of the nameless person in his dreams, so he says that he will try, but he doesn't think you can name something that doesn't exist. In the fifth entry, he says that Elisa has stopped speaking again, and he found her in the yard clutching a toy Jacob had left outside, sitting in the pouring rain. She wouldn't come back inside until the rain stopped, and he wishes he could say that he stayed with her. The sixth journal entry says that he was wrong, because there is still something left to do. He's been in a place in his mind filled with despair and uncertainty. He says that there is no greater taboo than what he aims to accomplish, but it is the only way left. 
He can't stop the nightmares until he does this. He sent Elisa away to stay with another overseer, still in her stupor. He feared that he would be in a similar place forever if not for seeing this one thing that burned into his mind. He ponders if the other overseer knows what he intends to do, and if she does, will she try and stop him? Although, it doesn't matter. He says that there is no way out of where he is, only a way in. The last journal entry has the overseer asking if Jacob would forgive him if he could see the dirt on his hands and what time and the earth had done to him. He wonders how someone so pale could have blood so dark, thick, and cold. It would definitely seem that the overseer has gone and dug up his son's grave, although for what exact purpose remains to be seen. Next we have an audio recording of a conversation between two individuals both with their names expunged. They are discussing someone that is currently in quarantine in a Foundation Medical Center, miraculously still alive. They move on to mentioning something that he took with him and something he brought out, which seemed to be close to the same thing. When asked what it is, the other responds that they have to be very careful with names, and whatever it was when he went in, it's something different now as it's been changed. One of them says that he should have known better when those who tread forever in the wandering wood warned him against going where he did. They say that there are things past the edge of the place before the nameless boundary that even those who reside without don't speak of, things that never had names to take. It's clear that they're talking about the overseer now, but they don't know where he found out what he did, possibly from another overseer. The two are confused on how the overseer managed to do whatever it was that he did, but they remark that he's always been especially resilient. One says that they don't see how it would have been possible for him to get out, but the other asks what makes them think that he's out. Okay, that was all incredibly vague, but we know that the overseer was lost in grief over the passing of his son, and he went to dig up his body in order to do something that would cure him of his nightmares caused by his son's death. Based on this conversation, whatever it was that he did nearly cost him his life, and he communed with something, or someone, and was warned by those who tread forever in the wandering wood. The Wandering Wood is SCP-4000, and the entities that reside in it are the Fairy Folk, who have lost their names. As a quick recap on SCP-4000, at some point in the past, the fairies fought against humanity, and were nearly wiped out in the process. As a weird side effect of this war, the remaining fairies lost their names, which are important to them, and they hid away in an extra-dimensional forest. The remaining fairies can use names to gain power, and can even steal the names of others, so usage of vague language and no names whatsoever is vital when discussing the fairies, as they can affect people even outside of the forest. As you'd expect, they are an ancient and magical species, and whatever the overseer's plan was, it seemed to involve something in their forest something that even they were wary of and warned the overseer against communing with. 
The following section is a medical report on a human subject that was recovered from within the forest, malnourished and significantly injured. The subject is identified as Jacob, and the injuries seem to correlate to an extended period of illness, a period of burial, and then exposure to the desperate actions of his father, which is rather ominous. He is currently still unconscious, but he is healing unusually quickly, possibly anomalously. He seems to be producing an abnormal amount of blood inside of his body, blood that is unusually viscous and smelling of rotten flesh, feces, and ammonia. He gets classified as SCP-5935 and moved to a containment facility, which is then reversed by order of an overseer, and then reversed again. After he becomes conscious, the containment procedures are deemed unsustainable, but he's removed from the containment facility by overseer order. So whatever exactly the overseer did, he brought his son back from death. But, of course, not all is well. We get another journal entry from the overseer, in which he describes another dream he had, this time recalling a trip he took years ago with Elisa. She was pregnant with Jacob at the time, and it was their last trip together before he was born. He sits inside of the house in the mountains, with snow falling outside, and Elisa is not with him currently. He senses something moving above him in the darkness, but he can't see it, or refuses to, and there's something heavy in his hand. Someone else in the room says something to him, asking him his name. He tells them, but they repeat the question, and he doesn't answer, because he can't remember it. After a moment, he gives them Dr. Mann's name, but they shake their head and ask for his name. He continues to give other names, other members of the Foundation, and other people he knows, until finally he mentions Jacob. The figure looking at him says, no, but it's close enough, and suddenly the overseer is aware of another presence in the room. He stumbles backwards through a maze of hallways and doorways, and hears Elisa scream, so he screams as well, and something behind him screams with him. The last door opens, and he steps into the room where Jacob died, Elisa on the floor with her stomach torn open, blood pooling out. A voice tells him that the only way to go is in, so he crawls towards Elisa and pushes his face into her blood his body sinking into hers, and suddenly he's falling. He sees nothing but red, and hears nothing but a beating heart. The figure is with him and asks for his name again, but he can't speak as blood is filling his mouth and lungs. Then he wakes up, and he's standing at the edge of the forest, the fairies watching him with fearful eyes. Something flutters at the corner of his vision, and he sees Elisa's face floating away in the wind. He looks up and sees the sky full of faces, and looks back down at a dirt road leading into the valley. Whatever he came to commune with is in that valley, something that the fairies are afraid of, but he soldiers on. A small note from someone else remarks they're surprised that the overseer made it through the forest and came back out, but they are not surprised at what came out with him. They ponder if the overseer had expected something different, or if he knew exactly what would happen and did it anyways. Next, we have a transcription from an emergency meeting of the O5 Council, 
with only two of the overseers present. One of them is our principal overseer, who discusses the outrage most of the other overseers are feeling based on his actions. He doesn't really care though, as they can do whatever they want with him now that it's done. He asks the other overseer if they know where SCP-184, the architect, is, since he has had a couple dreams about it lately. The other overseers are putting it to a vote on what to do about him, but they're all afraid of whatever it was that he communed with. He says that he's fine, but he's not going to be around as long anymore. The other overseers feel that he's hiding something, especially about what he brought out of the forest, but he insists that it's just his son. He's convinced that his son is fine as well, he just needs some time, but the others aren't so sure. We know that Jacob did wake up at some point, at which point the containment procedures became unsustainable for some reason. We get some clues about this from the transcript between the doctor and Jacob after he woke up. There seems to be some unusual pressure readings inside of the room as he wakes, and the doctor tells him that his name is Martin Wallace, and he works with his father. He then asks Jacob if he knows his own name, which he does. But then he says that the man's name is not Martin, and asks why would he hide it. The following section is very confusing if you're not aware of SCP-4000 and the effects of the fairies on those that break their rules of names. Basically, Jacob steals the doctor's name, taking his identity with it, and the other nurses in the room become confused on suddenly seeing the doctor restrained to the medical bed. There seems to be even more in effect here than normal in an SCP-4000 breach, as there are two Dr. Wallaces now, and it eventually leads to a violent altercation involving a knife. In the end, the doctor seems to recover, and Jacob becomes confused, crying out for his dad to help him. We're then given another O5 meeting transcript, this one with all 13 in attendance, to discuss the ramifications of the Overseer's actions. They accuse him of abusing his authority and breaking the protocols of SCP-4000 in direct violation of the council, creating an abomination in the process. They say that Jacob is no longer a human being at all, but instead a true doppelganger capable of impersonating anyone it wishes, with others unable to differentiate between the two even if they see the transformation happen. This apparently leads to a great deal of mental strain on those who witness it, which is what killed four medical personnel so far. What's more, it seemed Dr. Wallace tried to put a knife into Jacob's heart, but it emerged from his own. So there's more going on here than just copying. The overseer says that his son might be a bit different now, but he's still his son, and he just needs some time at home to recover. Obviously, the others think that he's completely deluded, unable to accept that his son is dead, and this abomination is only wearing his son's face. One of the other overseers then asks him what exactly he saw past the forest in the valley. He says that the path ended at the top of a hill, and below him was an idea, something that even their ancestors had forgotten. A place where the sinking guilt of loss and despair has congealed, and in that place there is a question, something innate to that place, that didn't need words. 
there were three pieces to it, and for each piece there was a price to pay. He has seen horrors and esoteric truths, but the question at the heart of this place could not be contained by anything in creation. The location of the forest the fairies had fled to was not a place built for them, it was just their only option left. They had created the forest in that place as a maze to protect them from the thing that lies beyond the dirt road. He had gone into the forest in search of Jacob's name, in the desperate hope that if he found his name, he could bring Jacob back. Instead, he had stumbled through to the other side, and found the thing that dwells there, something old, older than the fairies, the earth, and even the stars. He had to make sacrifices and pay the price, but he was willing to do it to bring his son back. He says that any of the other overseers who wouldn't make terrible sacrifices for those they love are liars. Another overseer says that none of that matters because he had betrayed his oath and broken sacred protocols. They plan to remove him from the council and terminate the abomination that was once Jacob. As long as he is on the council though, he can veto the termination, so they plan on reconvening in two days to vote on removing him. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another interview is conducted with Jacob, this time from a psychiatrist, Dr. Moore. He is given a constant intravenous drip of Nestix in order to help counteract any anomalous effects from Jacob, and the interview is conducted remotely. Jacob is lucid, and the doctor asks him what the last thing he remembers from before he woke up. Jacob says that he doesn't think he's been sleeping, and asks where his dad is. The doctor then asks what he saw in the dark, and then seems to ask someone else what they're doing. The intravenous dispenser chimes, signaling an increase in dosage in Nestix pumping into the doctor to counteract the effects. The doctor recovers with some dizziness and asks again what he saw in the dark. Jacob says that he saw two lights, always together, one that was and one that wasn't, swaying. Another doctor then asks Jacob what was the first echo in that place, the first light or the second, or if they were always together. The dispenser chimes again, and Jacob seems to be losing lucidity, saying that he remembers two lights always together, and something old was watching. The dispenser chimes again, and Dr. Moore says that he's feeling ill. The other doctor asks Jacob how many steps did he take into the down below, but Jacob says that there were too many. The dispenser continues to chime as Dr. Bright pops in, asking Jacob how many times did he lose his name, saying that if you lose a thing so many times, can it really be yours? Dr. Moore has trouble speaking at this point, as other individuals ask Jacob how many lights and how many stairs there were, if there were always two. 
Jacob continually repeats, always two, as the dispenser chimes over and over, until Dr. Moore also says, always two. As the dispenser continues to increase the dosage, the sound of a door opens and closes, and something thick and heavy hits the ground. As for what that all exactly means, the point is that Jacob is clearly some sort of powerful entity, and even speaking to him is incredibly dangerous. In another recording between the two individuals from before, they discuss the forest and what the overseer had seen and done there. One of them is unsure of why everyone is so anxious over what he saw there, as surely it can't be worse than a number of other horrors they are aware of. The other then goes into a discussion about gods, such as the broken god, the god of flesh, or the god of dreams. These entities are aspects of ideas, or creator gods, or gods of death. But then there are things that existed long before the first man broke bread with the new gods in his golden city, a reference to Autopapadopoulos. Things that existed before the universe had shape. They are not really entities, as they're not real. Instead, they are questions whose answers sprung forth into light and life. The formless echo of a voice that never existed, a question that, when answered, ceased to exist. In that place beyond the forest, though, was a question that should never have been asked, hidden away. It had been forgotten until the overseer found it. The other overseer asks how could he possibly know about this, to which they say that there's a dark room in a site with no designation, where a stone tomb rests beneath a mile of rock and iron. In the tomb is a creature, something long reduced from an entity that was once perhaps beautiful and regal, known as the Last King of Night. It lies sleeping, and even though it doesn't speak, it can tell you things. They then reveal that the last king of night told them where this question was beyond the forest, and so they went into the forest after the overseer because they needed to see this question for themselves. The overseer was close to what he was looking for in the forest, and if he had just stayed on the path, he might have made it and gotten his son back, but this individual changed things. They sacrificed something of theirs and something from the other person in the conversation, presumably their names, and this changed the overseer's path, leading him to the valley. They say that the overseer thought he was making a deal with a dead fairy god to bring back his son's soul, but you can't trade for something that no longer exists. The overseer had sacrificed much, and received something else entirely. Okay, so who exactly this individual is that invested so much just to lead the Overseer into a trap like this is a bit of a mystery at this point. It's clear though that some very big forces are involved here, something ancient beyond ancient, and Jacob's current identity is very ominous. Another journal entry from the Overseer, and it seems that the rest of the council did end up voting him out. He worries what will happen to Jacob now and mentions that apparently he can't be injured or poisoned at this point due to his anomalous nature, but the Foundation has many tricks up their sleeves. He discusses how rare it is for an overseer to have a child, and even if they do, the child is seen as a liability, 
that can cloud an overseer's judgment. When Jacob was born, he had promised him everything that he wanted, and that he would build a whole city for Jacob as a reflection of their love for him. As Jacob died, though, all of their dreams and promises crumbled away, but now he's back, with only the rest of the council in their way. He plans to take Jacob away from the foundation and build a shining city for the three of them. Sure enough, a containment breach occurs as Jacob is removed from containment by an overseer order, and a security team is dispatched to retrieve the anomaly. Fifteen minutes later, the team ends up in critical condition, so a strike team gets sent instead, but things seem to get even worse, as the transcript of the dispatch file becomes corrupted, listing off a large number of first names, repeating the name Jacob multiple times until it's just the name Jacob over and over before a critical error occurs. After that, the transcript contains only some text from Jacob, in which he speaks a number of different Bible verses, a handful referring to the name of God, mixing in some sentences not contained in the Bible, referring to far-off things that had names placed upon them. He says that in time, all things were given names, and a new God formed of many names, but there exists a place from which all names were given, which now had no purpose. In time, names will return to this place, and it will be God again. Jacob finishes by saying that he is not what his father thought he was, because he put something foul inside of him, and he was made wrong. The next addendum is from an unknown source, but begins with Elisa speaking with the overseer, both of them unable to see one another in a dark place. The overseer says that something is wrong with Jacob, and he's going to try and find her. He tells her that he had had access to things, and thought that maybe he could use those things to make this whole situation right. When he finally makes it to Elisa, he instead finds Jacob, who says that she came for him and tasted his blood. Elisa is apparently on the ground, Jacob having done something to her, although it's not clear what. Jacob says that his father is the only one who can see past him, possibly because part of him is inside of Jacob now. An unknown voice pops in, saying that Jacob's voice is so quiet and far away, it could hardly be said to exist at all. The overseer asks who the voice is, but it claims that it doesn't exist. It's just a place where a name used to be, unrecognizable. The voice is the figure from his dream, the entity from the place beyond the forest who told the overseer that it could bring Jacob back. The overseer asks what the voice is, and it says that it is the last child of Is, a deity we learned about in SCP-4840, one of the two primordial forces of all existence. The entity is an unanswered question that's given meaning in the unknown and uncertainty. It shows the capability of masquerading as anyone it wants, including Jacob and the Overseer. The Overseer says that he just wanted to be with his son again, and asks the voice why it's doing this. The voice says that he has suffered, but he's only at the beginning of a long road of suffering, 
because now that the Overseer sacrificed part of him to the entity, it will spread across existence and merge everyone's name back into one, as it was at the beginning. In the end, there will be only two, itself and the Overseer. The Overseer initially objects, but then says that he will help it with what it wants on one condition. He deduces that for all the voice's power, it's still nothing, a place where something used to exist, because so far it can't actually take anyone's name, it can only mimic them. The Overseer is willing to hand over his name to the voice, something which will actually give it power, on the condition that the voice helps him pretend for a little longer that life was normal, with him, Elisa, and Jacob back together. The voice accepts the proposal. In the following addendum, Elisa, Jacob, and the Overseer are together in what seems to be a normal family situation. Elisa calls Jacob into the room, dragging him away from a video game, and tells him that she set up a playdate between him and a girl that lives across the hall. The three playfully converse, with Jacob agreeing to go on the date before leaving the room. Elisa has been working on writing something, because ever since they moved to Pandemonium, she has felt like she needs to do something. There's so many people here, all with a story to tell, and she just wants to tell her story. The last few years have been the happiest of her life, but she feels like there's something she has to say. The Overseer says that the city is huge, and he sees different people every single day, and it's understandable for someone to get lost in here. Elisa pauses and asks what he just said, when Jacob comes back in saying that there's something wrong. Jacob then asks who he's talking to, at which point the two leave the apartment. They greet the neighbors as they head out of the building, the streets bustling with activity. Jacob asks his dad how big Pandemonium is, to which he responds that, it's bigger than they'll ever see. Jacob wants something more specific, asking how many days it would take to walk across it, but the overseer has no idea. At this point, the people in the street stop moving, their faces frozen in place. Jacob then says that he lied to him, as of course, this isn't actually Jacob, but the voice pretending to be him, as it is pretending to be everyone in the city. The Overseer had made this place, so the voice accuses him of bringing something into it that wasn't allowed, tricking the voice. The Overseer says that everything here was here when they first arrived, but the voice isn't convinced, knowing that there's something else here, some other anomaly. The voice begins to panic, saying that this city is different somehow, and it's growing, but he doesn't know what's happening. The Overseer laughs, and says that he promised his son he would build a shining city for him that they could share forever. The Voice then realizes what he had done. If you recall much earlier in this video, the Overseer had casually asked someone else where SCP-184 might be. SCP-184 is a small metal object that continually expands the interior space of any room it's placed in keeping the exterior the same. In this case, the city of Pandemonium is the room being continually expanded. 
the Overseer hadn't actually brought SCP-184 with him, but rather he had somehow managed to place a version of it inside of his own mind. He had been dreaming about pandemonium for years, and had created a mental construct of it in his head, in which the mental version of SCP-184 was busy at work, expanding it continually. When the voice agreed to let him create this place so that he could spend some time with his son for a little while, the overseer had created Pandemonium, a space unfathomably large. The voice howls at this realization, rapidly transforming itself into a number of grotesque images in front of the overseer. He says that this place is his gift to the voice, a place for it to live with the overseer's name for as long as it wants and where it can't hurt anyone on the outside. The voice asks where the mental version of SCP-184 is, but it's long been buried over thousands of years of creation, and even if it had the anomaly, it wouldn't change anything. It then asks how far does the city go, but the overseer has no idea, speculating that it might take a hundred thousand years to cross. By the time it actually made it out, it will have used up the power of the Overseer's name, bringing it back to what it was before, a hateful vacuum. The voice says that it was accustomed to festering in the darkness of its own non-existence, so it will walk for a trillion hours if it must. Once it's free and it takes back the names of every creature in existence, it will become whole. At that point, it will return to this city so that the two of them can remain together, as it said before. The overseer watches as it walks down the street and across the city, out of sight. He goes back to his apartment, alone, but with a smile on his face. The document ends with another version of the SCP-5935 file, this one detailing a man that's been placed into a medically induced coma until further notice. The man's identity is anomalously difficult to ascertain, but his intended purpose is to contain SCP-5935-1. Alright, let's summarize, as that was a lot of prose and vague details to chew through. We have an overseer, whose son tragically dies at a young age from illness. After the burial, both him and Elisa lose themselves in grief, but the overseer decides that there is possibly a way to bring his son back if he goes into the forest of SCP-4000 and retrieves his son's name. He had apparently gotten close to doing this, but another individual, one who had spoken with the ancient Last King of Night, purposefully drew the Overseer into finding the valley beyond the forest. In the valley was a primordial entity, or non-entity really, a thing without a concept basically a principal question of life that had gone unanswered. This thing seems to be the one responsible for the power of names, and it seeks to claim names for itself, just as it had in the beginning. The Overseer foolishly makes a deal with this thing in hopes that it will bring Jacob back to life, which it sort of does, but basically it was just masquerading as Jacob, becoming a dangerous anomaly. For some time, the Overseer is convinced that his son is back, and he just needs some time to recover from the ordeal, much like a certain Stephen King story. Meanwhile, he's been dreaming about the city of Pandemonium, 
which contains a buried version of SCP-184, which is continually building inside of his dreams. He eventually realizes what he's done, and comes to the understanding that his son is truly gone, as well as his wife, so he tricks the entity. The entity, now empowered by the Overseer's sacrifice as part of their deal, and present in the real world, plans to essentially consume all of existence, taking everyone's name back into itself, which will make it God. The Overseer willingly gives up his name to the entity, further tying the two of them together, and in exchange, he wants the entity to pretend to be Jacob and his wife for a little while longer. The entity agrees, and the two dwell in the Overseer's mind, in his mental version of Pandemonium. Here's where things get a little tricky, as it seems that the entity's power is extremely limited in this place, capable of masquerading as any number of people in the city, including Jacob and Elisa, but that's about it. Additionally, to leave the city and the Overseer's mind, he has to actually move to the boundary of the city, which is of an unknown size, thus trapping the entity there for a long, long time. The Foundation realizes what happens, and keeps the Overseer in a medically induced coma to contain the entity, although the Overseer's name and identity no longer belong to him. Regardless of all the weird anomalies and primordial deities in play here, the core concept is still one that's very realistic. We have a father who was forced to bury his son, and lost himself in his grief, unable to accept that his child was really gone. In the end though, he finally did accept that his son was dead and gone, and found some peace with that. I really recommend if you enjoyed this one to read the actual SCP article yourself, as I merely summarized a huge amount of dialogue between characters. Whether the entity will ever actually leave the Overseer's mind with any power is left as an unknown, but the point is that the Overseer corrected his mistake, sacrificing himself in the process. We all deal with loss differently, but let this be a lesson to not make deals in anomalous fairy forests with primordial question entities.